Well, it's hard uh, to believe um, that it's Christmas Eve. You know, I find that uh, as soon, you know, as it starts getting cold outside is the moment that I, that I really long for that, you know, for Christmas to already be here. And, you know, and then it, and every year it gets this point, and, you know, man, this, that has happened so fast and so quick. And, and, uh, and so it's here. But uh, we are so glad uh, that you guys are here. I just want to continue to add my welcome to the welcome you guys have already been given. We're so uh, glad to guys, just to have you guys here. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm the senior pastor here at Salem uh, Evangelical uh, Free Church. And, you know, when it comes to Christmas, when I think about Christmas, I feel like t- uh, Christmas is such a big time of reflection. Uh, and, and in the midst of reflection, though, there's, there's all this wonder that goes along with Christmas, all this wonder. And, uh, you know, when, probably most especially when we're buying gifts or something like that, as you're thinking, you know, there's somebody in your life, you draw a name or whatever that is, or however your family does that. And, uh, and so you just, you find yourself saying, I wonder if so-and-so would like this type of a gift. Have you ever asked that, you know, like to yourself? Like, I wonder, I wonder if, you know, that they would do that. Um, and, uh, and so for us, like, you know, some gifts are harder and some gifts are easier. And so for us, we've got a four-year-old at home and, um, and you know, she, we were in Target the other day doing like some stocking stuff or gift things and, and, uh, and I was being pulled around by my finger like I'm surprised, uh, like my finger's still attached because um, we were just, just going from aisle to aisle to aisle. I, did, I, I kid you not, I had no idea that they made eight million versions of Paw Patrol. Like there's just, it's everywhere and, and she leads me and she's like pointing and pulling and pointing and pulling. Like you could, you could blindfold me and spin me in a circle and I could grab a box and wrap it and she would love it, you know? And so that's just really easy, you know? Um, other people are, are not as easy. Um, this, this last year, you know, as I've been processing, even like I, I process a long time in advance what to get my wife for Christmas. And I would think that as years go on, that gift buying would be easier for her. I've kind of found the opposite. Um, and so this year, you know, I, could just, I sat down on the couch and I said, hey, you know, I just want you to know I'm having a hard time finding the right gift for you <laughs> this year. Um, and so she looked at me and she said with just so much grace uh, and kindness, well, would you like me to tell you what you should buy me? And the, the, the image that flashed through my mind was that image in Star Wars where the guy goes, it's a drop, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> don't do it. Don't, don't fall for it, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so I was, like, I was like, it's a lose-lose scenario for me because I want to get her what she wants. At the same time, I want to get something that she's not expecting and, you know, all that stuff. And so um, I thought, you know, well, I've got this like, gift in my mind and this idea, and I, you know, I, I re- but I just really want you to like it. And she's like, well, how will I know if I don't know? And I said, well, that's the point. Should I tell you? She goes, no. And I said, okay, so here's what we resorted to this year. I'm gift wrapping a really nice box. Inside of that box is a card that says, here's what I'm thinking about buying you. <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> Tell me. If not, we'll go find something, right? And so this is what we resorted to. So, you know, and this is the way the kind of the world works. She drew my mom for extended gift giving this year, and my mom is super content. And so it's like whatever you get, she loves, and so it makes it impossible to buy gifts for. You know, it's like this is hard. And, and so Nikki is sitting on the couch and you know, this over and over, and we're having this conversation. She's like, you know, I wonder if your mom would like this, and I wonder if your mom would like this. And the whole time, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> she's my mom, and I don't even know. You know, she's like, well, I wonder. What do you think? And I just was like, inside, I was chuckling out how hard this was. I was like, good luck. You know, <laughs> good, good luck. It's just hard. 
Some, so sometimes gifts are really easy, sometimes they are really, really hard. Um, and there's all this wonder that happens around Christmas, and I just I wonder if they would like this. And so as I was thinking about this, though, I think about Christmas for this year. Um, I wonder if we've lost our wonder when it comes to Christmas. I just, and what, you see what I did there, right? Like, I wonder, like, you're all smart people, okay? Um, I wonder if we've lost our wonder when it comes to Christmas. And here's why. Because every single time we come to Christmas Eve, so whether you come to church two times a year, three times a year, you know, ten times uh, every Sunday, it doesn't matter. But every time you come to Christmas Eve, it's kind of like you're getting the exact same gift. Right? And so, so you take some of the wonder out of it. You're like, well, I wonder what we're going to do. Surprise, it's Christmas. You know, we're doing the, the thing we did last year. <laughs> you know, it's Christmas Eve. So I wonder if we've lost some of that because it feels like at times there's, like, there's this bore factor to this. And so as a senior pastor, as I've been wrestling through it this week, I thought, you know, like, how can I make Christmas Eve exciting for people? How can I make it fresh for people? And in the midst of all those voices going in my head, here's what I felt God say. You don't need to. You don't, you don't need to make it fresh. You don't need to make it spectacular, right? Because here's the deal. Christmas Eve is a reminder. It's the story that never changes. And the gift that comes with it never changes. But there is one thing in life that has changed in the last year, and that's you and me. You see, we're one day away from Christmas, so 364 days ago was a long time ago for us, and we are radically different people, and every time we come to Christmas, a lot has changed, right? So it's that, that new job, the loss of a job, that new family member, the loss of a family member, right? There's all of this emotional stuff that comes along with Christmas, and we bring that to the table, and so what we find in this moment is how God takes the same great gift, which is the best gift that he can ever give, and he intersects and interjects it into your story exactly where you are. And that's what's brilliant about Christmas, because the gifts never change, the stories do. And so we're going to jump into Luke chapter 2, um, you know, this evening, and, and look, some, look at some of these verses. And again, I know that these are normal for a lot of you, um, and that's okay. But I just want to kind of point out a few things as, as we wrestle through the wonder of Christmas in this season, okay? So chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, and we all know this, right, who was with child. So in these first five verses, what we see is that Joseph and Mary, as these new-to-be parents, expecting parents, are going on this journey, right? And this is something that's so familiar to us during the Christmas season. So maybe you've just come in from somewhere, you're a family or a friend, and you've made this, this trip and this journey, or maybe, like, if you're like us, we on Monday will get ready to go see my parents, and there's always this, this process that we go through when we journey, right? So for us, like with a four-year-old, you know, like we've got everything that you have to pack for a four-year-old, which is just an insane amount of things. And, and then you pack your car, and then you realize you, you packed it perfectly, and then you realize you forgot the one box that's supposed to go under the one other box, and it ruins the whole packing, 
you know? And so inevitably, you're like, hey, did you get? No, I didn't. Well, you got to go get that. And so there's this back and forth, back and forth, and this packing, right? And then you get on the road, and two minutes into the journey, our four-year-old will say, can I have my iPad? And I'd say, sweetie, it's a seven and a half hour drive. No, you don't get it. Okay, wait an hour, five minutes later. Can I have my iPad? You know, like this is, this is the thing, this, this trip and the journey. And as you go, you're constantly scrounging and trying to do that thing where you're driving safely and to find things for people. And, and then eventually you get hungry and so you go, man, I need to stop for food. And so for us, going back to Nebraska, I, I, love, I love this small, um, you know, Nebraska chain called Amigos. And uh, it's really not good for you, Okay. Um, and, uh, and so I go, and inevitably, because I haven't had it in such a long time, I order so much of it, and then I eat it all, and it's like there's this giant food baby that's been formed inside of me. And then what happens is that the rest of the journey is very unpleasant, right? And that's in a car. And so and there's this idea that you get to the end of the journey, you're just waiting to get to your destination, and that's for us, right? But the journey is very different. This whole road trip story is very different if you're Joseph and Mary, right? It's, it's a very different thing. So if we come um, back to our trusty map over here. So um, Joseph and Mary are from this, uh, the town of Nazareth, which is up in the, the region of Galilee, which is up here in north. And so this is kind of like the, what Israel would look like. The Mediterranean Sea would be uh, over here. And so they're from here, right? And, and they need to go down to this, to this little, little teeny tiny town called Bethlehem down here, right? Now, it's, this is an 80-mile journey. So the easiest way to do this, right, is to come over here along the Jordan River and to come alongside this because it's the flattest, it's the flattest area. And this is, this is 80 miles, by the way. Now, 80 miles is the blink of an eye in today's world, right? You hop in the car, you drive for an hour and a half, you listen to a CD, and you're there. But this is 80 miles on a donkey. So I did this in the first service, you know, and it, honestly, it turned out to look like a wolf. And so I don't, I mean, you know, yeah, it's about the same. <laughs> That's really unfortunate. You know, we'll put Mary on top so it kind of redeems it, you know, and Joseph who's leading her, right? Everybody's happy except for Mary. Why? Because she's fully pregnant. Now, seriously, she has all this joy from the Lord that she's carrying God's son. But think about 80 miles along this dirt road, right, as you're going uh, in this, this rocky thing. So as you're riding this donkey for 80 miles, every rock, every crevice, like the clippity-clop of that donkey, you're going to feel, and it's going to be uncomfortable. This is a four- to six-hour journey in normal um, excuse me, four to six uh, days, not hours, four to six day journey. If you're fully pregnant, that's maybe a lot longer. It's a lot longer. And because you stop for breaks, you stop to rest, you stop to drink, you stop to eat, right? This is, this is pregnancy. And so this is the journey that they're on. It's a very arduous journey that they're actually, actually, they're actually on. And by the time they get to the end of this journey, what you're waiting for, like you're driving a car, going somewhere, it's like we're just around the corner. We need to get to there. And so the, as they would have walked into Bethlehem area, right, they would have come and crested this hill. And the top of this hill, they would look down and see the place that they would stay, okay? Now, what is it that they actually see? Do they see something like this? 
This is a very common manger scene scenario that you see. Um, right? this, is, this is actually made in Israel. Um, it's olive wood. The guy it had a crack in the top, and so it was in this trash. I said, don't do that. I'll take it. So I took it, and I fixed it, and uh, now it's you know, 90% good. Um, but when I look at this, right? I look at this. This is, this is not what a manger scene would look like, and yet this is what they sell in Israel. It's what they sell in Old City Jerusalem. Why? Because this is what tourists buy. Because when we look at this, when we look at the manger scene, we want to inject beauty and comfort into it. We want it to be easier than it actually is. Like, it like comes with this little music star at the top. <laughs> you know, It's this cool thing. But that's not the way that it actually would have been. As they would have got there, as they would have crested this hill, they would have looked down over the hill, they would have seen this big field, and along the edges are these kind of rude and crude, like covered edges, right? And so what they do is that they have people that can stay along those, and all the animals would stay in the middle. And it's possible that there was a cave nearby, you know, kind of this limestone grotto type of a thing, you know, that's what the legend has that Jesus is born in a cave. And um, but they get to the space and they look out and they see this, this, this big area filled with animals. It's most likely nighttime. It's dark. It's cold. Maybe it's rainy. It's the wintry season, right? And so all this stuff, and they get there, and you go, this is where Jesus is going to enter into the world. Now, hospitality in their culture, in the Jewish culture, was, was tremendously big. And so every time, you know, I, I come to this story in my mind and picture Mary and Joseph, I go, why in the world? Like, why, like why, why didn't somebody see this, this poor, young, fully pregnant gal and say, hey, come, like, we'll, we'll make room. We'll make room in our, in our space for you. Because you guys need that. I don't know, the text doesn't tell us, but I wonder, was the trip so long and so hard that they get in in the middle of the night and everybody's asleep? And so if you're Joseph and Mary and you look out and you go, there's no space for us. The only space that's available is this, this little tiny corner over here on the edge that's it's got, you know, animal droppings and hay and maybe a little manger, right, that's there. Maybe it's the cave. It doesn't really matter. But what matters is this. It's hard to, it's hard to think that there is a, a more humble scenario in which Jesus would enter into the world. Right? This is the nativity I love that, that Luke is the author you know, of this story. You know, he starts with this, this idea of this big you know, decree in the census. And what I love is that, is that Luke oftentimes as an author, is he, he tells us about all these big things that are happening in the world, and yet what he does is he narrows into this tiny little story, these tiny little people in the middle of nowhere Israel, in, the, in this tiny little random, messy, broken corner of a manger area and says, but this is the person that's going to radically overcome the global economy of sin. And it's this crazy picture that he is doing. And so when I think about this, right, so I think about Mary and Joseph, right, just like any of us, Right? We think about this, the first thing we know is that they are on this journey. 
And it's like what started at the beginning of this journey, right? And it comes down here, right? She's been pregnant for a while, but then all of a sudden, it's like all of a sudden life leads us somewhere. And it's 365 days later or whatever it is, life has led us somewhere. And we go, man, this is not what I anticipated, right? Things have changed in my story. And not all of it is for good. Some of it is and some of it's not. And it's just this hard thing. And the same thing, though, for us is this journey. Like, who we are 365 days ago is different. And so this is what I love about this as we think about this idea of the birth, right? Is that when, when Jesus is brought into the story, what happens is, is that he interjects, he, he interjects his love into the story in such a way that he meets us exactly where we are at in our story because he does it in the lowliest of ways. You know, when you think about the birth of Jesus, you know, one of those is maybe not the most common verse that people think of, um, but uh, one of those his verses is this, is John 1.14, right? And it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, right? You look at this, like Jesus you know, fully divine, co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit. And here he is in this space as it shows and, and that he would say that I am willing because of the state of humanity to put on flesh and to dwell amongst my creation. And in the midst of that, we, we see this word glory. And it's no wonder that we get caught up in the glorious elements of the birth. There's so many fanciful, uh, imaginative uh, creations that, that cluster around this moment. When you think about the writings or you think about paintings, you see paintings and it's like there's this special rays of light coming in at Jesus' birth and, and there's this random ox bowing on his knee and you're like, what in the world? It's fanciful. There's even this... Um, there's this an ancient text that's not a part of the Bible, and it describes Jesus coming into earth, and, and it's, he's born in this momentary experience, this, the, the wonder of this moment. This is the way that they describe it. They say that the pole of heaven stood motionless. Now, I don't know much about physics or gravity, but I'm pretty sure if the world stops spinning, bad things happen. They say that all of the birds were still. Workers... Um, who had their hands on a vessel. It's like they have this intuitive knowledge that, that Jesus is born and they're working and they're like, whoa, no, I need to stop. It says that those who presented something to their lips, they held it in pose. In fact, every human being had their eyes to the sky. The shepherds had their hands raised and, and all of the sheep that were scattered stood still. It says the sudden hush, the sudden hush and pause of awe-struck nature was as if the voice of God was, was commanding the universe to kneel in worship like the ox. And he says this, I love this, it says everything that was being propelled forward was intercepted in its course. You see, that's not the way the story goes. The authors are very astute to record it in the simplest and humblest way. Look at verse 6. It says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them 
in the end. Guys, I know just as well as any other parent that every parent is just doing the best that they can. And when I read the story, I go, Mary and Joseph, total humility. We're just doing the best that we can with what we have. And yet this is the space in which Jesus entered into the world. And it makes you think, as you think about the humility that's being portrayed here, you, it almost begs this question, like, is there something else that, that the author wants us to know? There's, there's something in the background here, and it's not, it's not intuitive to us as, as 21st century Christians because we didn't live at the time of Jesus, right? The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. And so I do think there's something that is in the background here that geography helps us understand as we think about this, this humility uh, of Jesus, okay? So if we come back up here, so as Mary and Joseph have made their journey all the way down to Bethlehem, there are two places that they would have passed that are of very important significance, right? One is obviously Jerusalem. This is the city of the day, right? This is where the temple is. This is where everything, the hubbub of community and worship and everything that happens here. It's only six miles removed away from Bethlehem, right? And we know that this is the space in which Jesus will end his life, right? He comes to the end and he is, he is crucified, he is buried, and he is resurrected in the space. So massively important to the story of Jesus, right? But another one that is, is super important that we probably don't know much about is this, is that in between these two is this, this X marks the spot. It's a palace, the palace of a guy named Herod. Herod was the king of the Jews, right? He was the one who lived in Jerusalem, right? And he had this palace outside um, in between um, in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Here, so I got a couple of quick pictures. Here's a picture um, from the top of the Herodium. Um, and uh, it's hard to kind of see the scale of this. You can see kind of that little brown door over there by, on the right side by some of those columns. And you go, okay, is this really that big or, or what's really happening? Well, look at this next one. This next one is kind of that rendering. And you go, wow, this is actually much bigger than I would have anticipated. This is a very huge space. This is a space where he can come and, and enjoy life and whatever he needs to. But primarily, this is a fortress. And what we learn about Herod is that Herod was an incredibly, incredibly wealthy man. He could pay, every single year, he paid for Israel's taxes out of his own pocket for the entire country. In fact, he was so wealthy that he built six or seven or eight of these, I can't remember, all over the place. And here's why. Because he was afraid for his life. He was afraid of death. So if anybody ever came to kill himself, what he would do is run the opposite direction. So he had fortresses in all of these directions that he could run to. Do you see the contrast here? Herod, as a man of wealth and power and strength, fear of death, Jesus ran towards death. Two very different kings that we are ultimately talking about. Herod, another thing that we learn is that he was very much into entertainment. This next picture shows that in this, he had his very own amphitheater. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would come because the lifestyle of Herod was all about entertainment, right? The wonder in his life was all about what the world could ultimately give him. And Jesus was born in the shadow of this building. This is where Jesus was born, in the shadow of this building. And we're seeing this contrast being built here as we know that there are two kings at play in this story. One is Herod and one is Jesus. Every year I read this book, um, 
It's published in 1886, and it's by a guy named Frederick Farrar, and it's about the life of Christ. And I just, I like um, his approach as he talks through the different life elements of Jesus. He says this about Herod in this space. It says, distant, but a few miles on the plateau of the abrupt and singular hill now called Jebel Furetus, or Little Paradise Mountain, towered the palace fortress of the great Herod. That's what we were just talking about, the Herodium. The magnificent houses of his friends and courtiers crowded around its base. The humble wayfarers, as they passed near it, might have heard the hired and voluptuous minstrelsy with which its feasts were celebrated, or the shouting of the rough mercenaries whose arms enforced obedience to its despotic lord. But, there's the contrast, but the true king of the Jews the rightful Lord of the universe, was not to be found in palace or fortress. They who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. The cattle stables of the lowly caravanserai were a more fitting birthplace for him who came to reveal that the soul of the greatest monarch was no dearer or greater in God's sight than the soul of his meanest slave. For him who had not where to lay his head, for him who from his cross of shame, was to rule the world. You see, and what we see is this contrast between both Herod uh, and Jesus. Herod had a palace with singers and harps and lyres and, and all those things. Jesus had a chorus and a choir of angels. Herod had a palace that was a fortress. Jesus had heaven that he gave up for a manger. This is the story. This is the contrast, right? And the question comes down to then, what do we celebrate in life? What is it that we want most in life? Do we want the life of Herod or do we want the life of Jesus? And because it comes down to this, we all celebrate, right? And that's what the Christmas story is. It's this massive celebration. It's this massive celebration about what matters most and what brings us the most wonder and awe in all of this. And as the story goes, and as Darren shared, these shepherds come, and, and what do they do? They reveal, hey, we've got this great news. It's going to bring great joy. And the sign is just this baby wrapped in swaddling claws, and he's in a manger. But by the way, that this, this good news, even though I'm telling it to you, the lowest of low shepherds, it's not for you. It's not top down. It's from the bottom up because it's for all people, not just you. And it's this beautiful portrait, beautiful portrait of God's love. And I love this in verse 18. After, after they go and they see and, and they, they take in the wonder of this moment, right? As lowly shepherds, they take in the wonder of this moment. And as they go and they begin to talk all about it, it says, and all who heard, heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You see, there's that word, wondered. You see, this we live in a, in a time where we wonder all about gifts and and wonder if people will like those things. And as God looks down at us in this Christmas season, there's no wondering. There is no wondering. 
But for us, as we look, we have, to, we have to ask this question. We say, what is it that we celebrate? Do we long for the life that Herod had, or do we long for the life that Jesus brings? Because when we talk about that, what we find is that wonder in this season is, is as boring as it may sound, or as repetition as all of this is from year to year to year, the wonder that we find in this story is that God would choose to give up his heavenly space and put on flesh for someone as low as me. And that, that that would constantly remind us that in my brokenness, in my debt, my mess, day to day to day is what points us to the cross. Would you watch this video? Why? Why? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why forsake the majesty and fellowship of heaven? Exchanging a palace for a stable. Immortal comforts for a feeding trough. And robes of glory for the feeble body of an infant. An unparalleled irony, this supreme unrivaled nobility experiencing absolute and total humility. Our sovereign God Emmanuel, as a baby. He didn't come to heap shame upon sinners or to judge and cast out the impious, but to break bread with those called unrighteous. He didn't come to illuminate every mystery of the cosmos or to enlighten the intellectual, but to fulfill the testimony of prophets clothed in rags. He didn't come to elevate a single nation or to advocate a particular political affiliation. He came because he saw you broken in need of salvation. He saw you lost and abandoned, crying out, surrounded by deaf ears, fighting through the tears, but beaten down by the torments of this world. And unable to bear your distress, he renounced his eternal throne walked the earth, bore the stripes, accepted the nails, and gave up his last breath so that you could receive the breath of life. Our God. Our holy, infinite God. Beheld your pain. Perceived your heart and determined that your soul was worth dying for. From the manger, to the cross, to the empty tomb. It is all a story of profound love, of a savior who rescued his children from darkness. Of a blameless king who declared that no sacrifice was too great for the sake of his beloved creation. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came for you. <laughs>